Maybe we could ask your friend Abani for a loan. Don't you know their situation? Some relatives came to stay, so they are both working to make ends meet. What do you mean, both? Husband and wife. Welcome to the Magic Lantern Podcast, an ongoing informal discussion of the films we love and the things we love about them. I am Erica Long. And I am Cole Rolaine. Each episode of the Magic Lantern will be devoted to one film that we alternately select, and we will discuss why it is significant to us. For episode number five, it is Erica's choice, so let's find out what she has chosen for us. This episode, I am showcasing Mahanagar. And actually, before I get further, I'm going to issue a blanket apology for the pronunciations of characters' names, actors' names, uh, the director. I'm so sorry. I'm not a native speaker, and I know I'm going to stumble on some of these, but we're going to give it our best shot. Right. Okay, so I am showcasing Mahanagar, or The Big City, from 1963 which was directed by, written by, and composed by Satyajit Rai. And it stars Madhabi Mukherjee as Arati and Anil Chatterjee as her husband, Subrata. And it's the story of the housewife, Arati, who takes a job as a saleswoman to help meet the financial needs of her family, which includes her small son and her in-laws. And why did you select this one in particular? So when we saw this movie last year together, it was our first time seeing this film. Um, I know that you had not seen it before. I had not seen it before. No, the only thing of Rise that I had seen before this was The Music Room and The Chess Players. Okay, and it was my absolute first introduction to Satyajit Rai. And also, I've been thinking about this a little bit. I think it's also my introduction to more groundbreaking Indian cinema as Mm -hmm. well. So that was a big deal for me. And I remember when we walked out of the film, we just could not stop talking about it. In the parking lot, on the way home, days afterwards, we still mention it from time to time. Mm -hmm. And I think about all of the small moments and the big moments and the overall feeling of the film. We talked a lot about warmth previously in another episode. This film is very warm, creates a very warm feeling. It's also a period of cinema. Uh, The film is actually set in the 50s, but it was made in the 60s. Both of those periods, just sort of across the board for me, I have less uh, experience with in world cinema in general. So it was also a really interesting uh, moment to be uh, to explore for me in a nation that I have very little experience with as well. So to be ushered into this world at large with this story and this film was perfect for me. So why did I choose this movie? It stays with you, and I think I'll probably spend the rest of the podcast explaining why. <laughs> And so we decided that this was the first film that could equally have been either of our choices. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I decided on this one. Why would you have chosen this film? I would have chosen this film probably because there's a kind of a universal thing that people do with any entertainment. When they really enjoy it, there's that aspect of they are seeing an ideal version of themselves reflected back Mm. at them. And I found these characters so inspiring 
Yes. And so admirable, even in with their small frailties and insecurities, yeah. that the way they treat each other, ultimately, and the consideration they have for one another, that's the thing that I would aspire to as your partner, mm-hmm. as your husband. And that's probably... The th- that would be the primary reason I would select it. Aside from all of the other, the fantastic technical achievement of maneuvering that camera around those small cramped spaces. And it's so dynamic. It looks beautiful. It exactly. sounds beautiful. There are so many just purely cinematic reasons to recommend it. But the the reason I I would want to choose it for the podcast and talk about why it's this will be a why it will resonate with me for so long is because of their relationship and how I see our relationship, how important that is to me and how much, how I think we would look awesome on screen, (laughs) basically. Uh, I cannot hold a candle to the incandescence, which is Madhavi Mukherjee, but I I look pretty good I beg to differ. Okay. At any rate, what I see in them i see their their playfulness together their sort of conspiratorial nature this real it's them against the world feeling that i it makes me feel good to think about that with you and um, also another huge reason is because the ideas in it still feel extremely progressive even today even 50 years down the road the way they treat each other is not this men are from Mars, women are from Venus, nonsense. They are treating each other as individuals that are the sum total of their own unique experiences, and they behave towards each other respecting that thing. And I'm really sorry that that idea is unfortunately still progressive. Oh, because God, me too. You know it's a huge pet peeve of mine, in entertainment specifically, to see marriage portrayed as a living hell. Yeah. That it have people just openly dislike, hate, resent or, each other? Or even even the ones that claim to love each other, constantly making small, petty jokes at one another's expense, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, I hate it too. So I will always embrace these loving, warm representations of marriage. And that's the first thing I wanted to talk about. Not the marriage and all of the relationships, relationships in general. The thing I love most is that Everyone behaves honestly. Mm-hmm. And there's such an easy, warm forgiveness, even after these trials and tribulations that they go through, or the misunderstandings, or the, uh, I'm not quite there with you, and I'm a bit hurt. But it all comes down to forgiveness in the end, and I, I really enjoy that. It's even reflected in the people that are in their orbit. For mm-hmm. instance, there's a really nice scene. It's reflected in the younger sister's thoughtfulness. There's a scene early on when she comes upon them of what might be an argument. And even though there's no room in the house, she draws the curtain back and moves around mm-hmm. and gives them room to have their conversation. So everyone, every even minor character in the thing are constantly being considerate and kind and thoughtful of every other character's situation. And I mentioned a second ago that everyone is behaving honestly, and that's both uh, to their benefit and their detriment. They're, they are speaking of themselves honestly. No one is going through a big obfuscation, really, even though the father is going behind the family and speaking to others and asking for money. Mm-hmm. He's still very clear in terms of why he believes that that's okay for him 
and the he sees the effect that that has on others as well and everyone can verbalize that and i i I enjoy that that everyone is self-actualized really yeah so at what point in the film did that feeling strike you since it was your first of his to see and it's kind of an introduction into bengali cinema did it take you a while to warm up to it? I, because I, for me, it was immediate. As soon as I saw the cable too. car and heard the sounds, I was in Calcutta in 1953, it felt like. It, I think, and I may be remembering this incorrectly, but for me, the first moments that come about are inside the house. I think once you're also inside the house, you're inside her world, right. too. So I was immediately drawn in there. And... You had mentioned before about her sister-in-law and how she is uh, so careful enough to move aside the curtain when there seems to be a little bit of an argument happening. And I think what's so fantastic about the world that Rai creates is this wonderful set that he has made where people are constantly bumping into that uh, kind of table that's right outside where everybody eats and there's just no room to do anything. And I think once you are immersed in that world, everything else, motives become clear. History becomes clear. It does a lot of the work for you. And, and I was drawn into it right away. And that you can hear the radios mm-hmm. from other apartments yeah. and other houses. Uh, I, I was right there from the start. And to follow that idea further, uh, I think the camera is so dynamic in this. It's constantly moving. Points of view are shifting. Pairings of people are shifting. You always see different perspectives at any given moment. And I think that draws you very much into appreciating, understanding, and having empathy for each character and what's happening and what uh, implications are for any single act to these other people in the story. And I was also, like you said, loving the world of Calcutta. You start with the cable car. Mm. You end in the street as well. And it's just a sea of people. And you go you go to certain areas of the city that would be appropriate for a housewife to be able to go into in these changing times. Mm-hmm. But what I would... For this film, more than really any other i'm not a big proponent of oh black and white is so boring and terrible that's ridiculous this world though i really wanted to see in color Mm -hmm. it seems so exciting and so dynamic i was so i just wanted to see what each of those things would look like in color is that just me no it's not just you i in general i love street scenes yes in anything (laughs) you could just put a camera on the corner of any street at any time one of the magical wondrous things about cinema in particular is that i can travel via that camera yes to times and places i would otherwise never get to mm-hmm. see and this is one of my favorite examples of that because it's so foreign to me yes and i wish that i could have been there to experience it i mean there are tons of places and times of course that i think that about but there's something about this particular film that gives me that feeling from literally the first second the first thing you see all the way through to the very last like you said it seems so it's so immersive and the sound design is so great and it looks so beautiful even though it's you know some run down parts of calcutta that i just 
wish that I could experience it for myself and mm-hmm. all the sounds and the smells and the colors. You are yes. right in particular because I imagine it looks fantastic. The act that sets off the film is RT's decision to take a job. And what is fascinating for me is that she doesn't start out, given the time period and where she is, from a position of women's liberation, for lack of a better phrase. This isn't, this is my right, I'm going to go do this, I'm going to strike out on my own and make a name for myself and have all of these things for myself. It's definitely, for me, from a position of she feels... I don't want to say shame. I guess shame's not the word. She feels acutely the burden that her husband has been bearing for the entire financial responsibility for the family. So she makes this decision to actually be of the greatest help that she can be for the family. And I think that that's really fascinating and not something that you would see. They definitely don't take the easy way out with, oh, this is such a clear motivation. She's going out to do this. Right. It's just an issue of pragmatism. Yes. Yeah. And this isn't something that you wouldn't, that you would have seen a decade before. So she takes this job and she then though begins to discover that she really enjoys it. She's good at it. It's something that I think she didn't quite know of herself before. There were a few things that I think they did not understand about each other. The husband and wife. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Again, which is a great illustration of a marriage that is working the way it ought to. I don't think she understood the depths of his conservatism Mm -hmm. at first, which they half joke about. She knew they were there, but I don't think she knew to what degree. Right. They didn't have a chance to really come out. There wasn't a testing point. Right. It was never confronted directly Mm -hmm. before. And her misplaced notion, you mentioned how much he's bearing the burden of all of the family fiscal responsibilities. But I think her notion of what he does is slightly misplaced. What do you mean? Because I don't know that he works as hard as she thinks he does (laughs) when he is out of the house. But be that as it may, yes, he is the sole breadwinner. Yes, yes. And I don't think he understood about her, even though she is the backbone of the household, I don't think he understood about her how ultimately forthright and determined Mm. she would be once she discovered that she was good at this work. Yes, yes, that she should keep going with it, that she should do it even though other members of the family are starting to have a problem with it. Yeah. The essence of drama is conflict, and there's where the conflict happens. It's The conflict is to overcome. It's not between them. Right. Mostly. There is a little bit of an issue because, at least for him, he is confronting these conservative values that he holds. But each time he recovers really quickly. Yes. It knocks him back for a second. But he seems to realize, no, this is the right thing to do. This is what needs to happen. And so, for instance, at the very beginning, when they initiate this process, when she decides that she is going to get the job or attempt to get the job, it's initially uncomfortable for him. But literally the very next morning, he is sitting with her going through one ass. Absolutely. And together they are working on the process. And I think the more difficult conflict that he faces is from his parents and his father specifically. Mm-hmm. It's it's seen as a badge of shame that the son cannot 
uh, with his sole job, cannot take care of the entire family as he, his father, had done before. Right. And that's spoken aloud. Right. And, and it's the, indicative of the changing times mm-hmm. in Calcutta as well. And with the father, the idea of who is to blame for her having to get a job, needing to get a job, and then wanting to keep the job. Mm-hmm. How that affects every person and what their idea of what is right and what is wrong and how that changes over the course of the film. Just the idea that blame needs to be assigned at all. Yes. And that being such a foreign idea to us now. And it causes, well, it doesn't cause. The father decides to go out to his former students, he was a teacher for many, many years, and ask for money because there isn't enough in the family. He's obviously has medical conditions. He doesn't have new glasses, so on and so forth. So he goes out to these men to ask for money. And that's then also a badge of shame to the son that his, that he can't support his father. And why do you think that the father finds it okay to go out and ask for money, but a member of the family working is not okay? I think that might have to do with the mentor-student relationship and things that have been established in the culture up to that point. Things that I'm not wholly aware of. Me either. And I was thinking back to early America where you would pay for your education directly to the teacher. And the father speaks very often of this is a debt Mm-hmm. Oh, to me, this isn't so odd that I would ask for this. You know, they owe this. Also, not in a, a strident kind of a way, right. just sort of as a, a matter of course, right. I guess. Um, so something that I would need to look up uh, to learn a little bit more about. But I, I find it interesting. And it again, though, as every character does, it's something that he works through right. over the course of the film. And then they speak about it at the end mm-hmm. that I now, you know, I'm speaking his subtext, but I now realize that that was a good decision, and I'm quite proud of my family. And another thing I wanted to mention with the father, especially, and then with what happens with the husband, uh, Subrata, he loses his job over the course of the film. So what does it mean for these characters to work and then not to work? It's very clearly a point of pride with the father. I think he feels useless, mm-hmm. which is something I think everybody can relate to. Yeah, everyone with any work ethic anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I think, and it's underlined a little bit in the film clearly when you watch it, signing the job application is quite literally a revolutionary act yes. for her at that point. She has to go slowly with it, and mm-hmm. it's it breaks my heart every time I watch yeah. it. Not that it's sad, it just makes everything right. turn inside me. And you to can think see about that first moment. Yeah. And you can see that in him too. You can see that in Subrata too, as, as he is standing over her shoulder watching her do it. How truly proud of her that he is. How at that moment there's no shame, there's no insecurity, yeah. there's none of those things that will eventually rear their head. There is nothing in his face except ultimate pride in mm-hmm. what she is doing and the steps she's taking. Mm-hmm. You know, the first time I watched this, I walked away and then over the course of the year, thinking back to it, I had this very specific idea that they really never touched during the course of the movie. 
but I still felt their deep physical warmth and affection for each other. And I, I, I really enjoyed that. The, the moment when they end the film, walking together, they don't hold hands. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not hugging. They don't touch. And that really stayed with me. Mm-hmm. But it's not, cold, it's not a cold film. I don't mean to suggest oh, that at, at all. all. Very deeply warm. But when I watched it again this last time, there are actually several moments where they are physically affectionate to each other. Again, it's not it's not a passionate physical thing, but I, I, I wonder why I felt that way the first time, why that stayed with me. I don't know, because that's not how I remembered it really? after we saw it the first time. They're physical acts, but they may not be physically affectionate in the way that we traditionally think of them. Mm-hmm. But there are tons of things in the movie that demonstrate a real sense of true partnership. Yes. The little things like them strategizing about how best to handle the domestic and issues. And doing the little hand signals right, to each other. within the house and when they're standing there in the hallway yeah. telling each other non-verbally, eh, uh, leave never, this yeah. one, we'll get back to this. <laughs> shut we'll, up, shut we'll up. We'll talk about this later. <laughs> he covers her head for her at one point. Mm-hmm. She asks him to cover her head and he mm-hmm. covers her head for her at one point. They help each other. Yes. Is the thing. And there's nothing more warmly affectionate than true partners helping each other go through these day-to-day things, whether they be tiny little household tasks that have to be done or larger, more not traumatic necessarily instances that take place. But things that are, it's a real sea change in their household that they're going through because she is taking this job and keeping this job. And so everything they do, for the most part, aside from the initial setbacks and insecure reactions are all in service of helping each other move forward and be a better person. And I, I know that I remembered that overall sense, just not in its actual application. Mm. So drawing from the actors conveying this sense of this warm, physical, human relationship without big, bold, overt acts or words or deeds, I think about the performances specifically. Mm-hmm. And with uh, Madabi Mukherjee, she didn't have a ton of experience before this film. I think she had done two or three other films. I'll have to double check that, right. but that's my It was sense. her first collaboration with Rai. Absolutely. They hadn't all worked together, but I don't get any sense of that. They seem uh, totally inhabiting their roles. And I think that they, uh, in a million different small touches, give wonderful, wonderful performances. I think you can attribute a lot of that to Sariajit Rai, because if ever there was a person who was born to make movies, it was him. Because when you look at Padar Panchali, for instance, and realize that that is his first film, he and all of his crew... Every person involved with it. ...were figuring out how to do that. Yes. And when you see what comes out of that... A few years later. We're not talking decades later. Right. We're talking pretty soon afterwards. You're talking about a director and a crew who seem to have been born with an innate ability to make perfect movies. I think he has just simply an eye, an ear, a voice for movies. He can clearly work with actors extremely well mm-hmm. write something that sounds so true that it can't help but fall out of your mouth and sound perfect for each person not to discount their performances mm-hmm. though either because that scene in particular that i was thinking of is when she receives that first pay packet 
Yes. And she's all of the, the things that she's communicating in her face when she is contemplating getting paid for her work for the first time is one of my favorite things I've ever seen. You see about 40 different emotions yeah. and ideas go through her eyes in a split second. And it's perfect. One of my very favorite moments, husband and wife, is when he is taking her to work for the first time and she's around the corner sort of peeking around a little bit and he's leaving and she is giving him that look of, oh, can you maybe just stay here forever and I'm sort of ready and it's I know it's up the stairs and I've just got to go up those steps. And yeah. again, all of those myriad emotions play across her face and I love the interplay between the two of them with that. But as in with all of Rise movies that I've seen so far, every single person in the film is fantastic. Mm -hmm. It's a really great one, and I'm so delighted that I got the chance to see it. We've been really lucky over the past year because not only did we get to see this Austin Film Society, which is one of the greatest organizations on the face of the planet. <laughs> Thank you, Austin Film Society has programmed several of his films. They did a, a Rye retrospective not too long ago where, among others, they played this Caparouche Charlotta, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. several of his films. And then after that, they brought the entire Opu trilogy, the restored Janus edition that's touring right now that will soon be available on Criterion DVD in November. And... It was, not to put it too melodramatically, life-changing. Yes. Specifically for me, the second installment immediately became one of my favorite films of all time. And initially, he wasn't even considering making a sequel to Pather Panjali. Initially, that film was not to exist, and man, am I glad it does, because... <laughs> it speaks to you. It stirs me. Yes. And so, I just want to say thanks to Austin Film Society, because I might not... Well, it would have taken me a lot longer to see it, and I would have never seen it in a theater, perhaps. Yes. I would have never gotten to experience it on the big screen. So, if you are not a member of Austin Film Society, and you live in town, <laughs> you should really consider it. They are programmers. Lars Nielsen, Holly Herrick, and the recently retired Chale Nefus are responsible for me seeing some of the best films that I've ever had the chance to see. And it's an incredible deal because they have just made a membership level that basically, if you share it with someone like we do, for the cost of one movie ticket a month, you get to see minimum half a dozen of the greatest current new releases, avant cinema, documentaries, works in progress, essential classics, all for an extremely low price. So that's my plug for Austin Film we Society. We do not work for Austin Film Society. No, we no. just love them. We do. We love them with all our hearts. And if you live in a different city and you want to start your own film society, go to their website and learn how to do it the right way. Right. Anyway, the movie is so thematically rich and resonant for us that it would be easy. We talked about, in fact, when we were watching it the second time, how easy it would be for us to go on for hours and hours and hours talking about this. So I'm kind of wary of making the longest episode <laughs> ever of The Magic Lantern. Or a lot of, hey, do you remember when she did <laughs> this one thing? That was great. 
But are there that things would be me. right? But are there <laughs> things that we uh, haven't talked about yet that you want to go back and touch on? You know, this is really just a simple point, but I, I, the beginning and the end really stayed with me. The beginning starts out with the husband. It doesn't start out with Arati. And the end is the two of them together. And it's, it's in that sea of the street. And it's all men. I don't know if you noticed that. But every single street scene, it's all men. The only time where you see women outside is when the saleswomen go out to canvas a neighborhood. So you mm-hmm. see a moment of that. But I find it, again, interesting that the film doesn't come from this point of, you know, groundbreaking women's liberation. It starts and ends uh, from different viewpoints. And the thing I love most uh, at the very end, uh, Subrata says, we will both succeed. And I love the both part because in the in the playlet that the Magic Lantern players uh, showcase at the very beginning, she first says, what do you mean both? Mm-hmm. And I love that there's the callback at the end of that, and it's very much that unity that it ends on. Yeah, it's perfect. It's a perfect movie. It is. Done. (laughs) Well, that was easy. That was easy. So thanks to Austin Film Society, you were able to experience Rye for the first time, on the big screen for the first time as well. Are there things in particular about him or of his that you're now curious to go on and look further into? Well, what I would really recommend for everyone, if you get the chance, is check out special features on any DVD that you get of any of these films. There's one in particular on uh, this film, which is Rye in his own words, essentially, and he is beautiful to listen to. Mm -hmm. He is so eloquent. So uh, I think that that's a great place to start. And then that leads into my recommendation uh, for this episode. And I was going to recommend Sultan for a day because that sounds like lots of fun. And it's a film they talk about going to see in this movie, but I haven't seen it, so I can't recommend it. So instead, I'm going to take the easy way out Uh. and recommend uh, first the entire works of (laughs) Satya Jit Rai, but specifically start with the Opu trilogy. It was the beginning for him. We already talked about it. It was the first film he ever made. The Crew was the first film any of them had ever made. Uh, Many of the actors, it was the first film they had ever made. It is astounding. It is an astounding piece of filmmaking. And if there had only existed the first, that would be amazing. But it's a trilogy. And each one builds upon the other to create an amazing uh, piece of work that is not to be missed. And unlike you... The second film is your favorite. The first is actually my favorite, Pather Panjali. So I really recommend starting there. Why is it your favorite? Why did it appeal to you more than the second one did to me, for instance? In the way that the second film speaks to you, uh, the first film speaks to me in the moments that I remember so much from my childhood mm-hmm. that were the formative the formative events for me. And the first film is the is the beginning for Opu. He's a very young young boy. I respond so much to the relationship with his sister, even though I have no siblings. Uh, The two of them together are my absolute favorites, and I love to watch that development. Mm -hmm. So my recommendation is the Opu Trilogy in its entirety, but specifically the first film of the Opu Trilogy. That's kind of a cheat. (laughs) 
<laughs> Are you going to give me a big raspberry for that? I will give you a big Bronx cheer for that. <laughs> if it weren't for how significant and important they are. Yes. So I can't really... I just slide in. <laughs> I can't quibble. You get in just under the wire. Okay. Because I I couldn't possibly fault you for recommending that someone watch those films. Yes. And so what is your recommendation? My recommendation is Charles Burnett's Killer of Sheep. Oh. From 1978. Oh, what a great, what a great place to go. It is a world away from Calcutta yes. in the 50s. But it still has the things that I respond to so much in Mahanagar in that it's full of small, tender human moments. Charles Burnett is such a great observer of the things that other people tend to leave out of their movies mm -hmm. that make characters fully real, yeah. that make worlds that you feel like that you could inhabit. It is one of the best, well, at least my favorite pieces of American humanist cinema. I couldn't recommend it more highly. Well, that is a fantastic recommendation. I'm not going to say that mine is better, but I think that those are both excellent. I would say yours is better and obviously a milestone. But that's why I want to recommend Burnett because yes. it's easy for people to forget movies like that. Everybody should check it out. I love you, honey. <laughs> I love you too, <laughs> you big baloney. <laughs> Okay, so our recommendations are Killer of Sheep and the Opu Trilogy, specifically Pather Panjali. Which I guess brings us to the end of what turned out to be not the longest episode on record. Remember that time when she did that one thing? <laughs> that was great. Loved it. I would like to mention in particular before we wrap things up uh, to say a special hello and thanks to Aaron and Mark at the Criterion Close-Up podcast. Those guys do a great show about all of the films in the Criterion Collection, which this is one of. Yes. You can find this on DVD via the Criterion Collection. Each episode that they do, they will pick one particular film and then a greater theme that that touches on, and it's always really fun and interesting discussion with people who are really thoughtful about international cinema. Mm -hmm. If you are a fan of this type of film or the Criterion Collection in general, you should really check out Criterion Close-Up. It's available on iTunes or any of your regular podcatchers. It's a really great show. And as far as our presence on the web, you can email us if you like at magiclanternpodcast at gmail.com. You can just look for Magic Lantern Podcast on Facebook. We're on Twitter at lantern underscore cast. The show is available on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. If you listen and you have time and are so inclined, please feel free to leave a review. We appreciate any kind words that you can leave for us. And thank you for listening to the Magic Lantern Podcast.